Hey, Risto here with George Mason University. I'm here with Dylan Scanlon uh, from the University of Limerick in Ireland. Uh, we'll be discussing the 2020 article that Dylan published with Antonio Calderon and Anne McPhail. Uh, the title of the article is Teacher Agency in Enacting Physical Education in a Period of Curriculum Change and Reform in Ireland. Uh, the paper was just published in the Curriculum Journal, so uh, welcome to the podcast. Great. Uh, thanks. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you so much for inviting me onto this podcast. I listen to this podcast on my drives from where I live in Ireland to my college house in Limerick. So now to be on the podcast is really cool and um, a privilege. Um, and second, I just want to acknowledge my supervisory team and co-authors on this paper, uh, Professor Anne MacPhail and Dr. Antonio Cauldron, who are in my slightly biased opinion, the dream team. Awesome. Yeah, that is a that is a really good dream team for sure. Um, and we'll link to your uh, Twitter profile there as well, Dylan underscore Scanlon one. Uh, yeah. I know you're all active on there. I see your stuff coming out. You've been putting out some really good papers. I know you're, you know, looking at graduating soon. So, um, you know, anything to kind of, you know, give a bigger platform for the good research that you're doing. Yeah, um, thank you. So let, let's start into the paper. Can you just give um, a little bit of the background leading up to this research? Uh, what led you to research teacher, uh, teachers achieving agency in PE? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm completing my PhD by publication. So this is one of the papers that's coming from my PhD. In terms of context to that and to this paper, in Ireland, the final two years of post-primary education or secondary education is called the senior cycle. So students are around 16 to 18 years old. And that's going through a curriculum reform at the moment and since 2016. Within this reform, there's a number of established subjects such as maths, biology, which are under review and new subjects have come into that senior cycle curriculum as well. And my PhD is exploring one of those from a construction point of view and an enactment point of view. That being that subject being the Leave Insert Physical Education. Yeah. And I'm, I'm exploring ahead. this, I'm exploring this um, from different curriculum policies point of view so from a teacher perspective a student perspective a curriculum development perspective and this study falls under that teacher perspective okay and so we've had two awesome podcasts already on the irish p curriculum so we had the post-primary which is episode 96 and primary which is episode 81 but can you uh just remind the listeners or about what the leaving certificate physical education the lcpe is and um, about the concept of teachers being policy actors? Yeah, no problem. So, and the, the, by the way, those are two great podcasts by Liam and Stephen. Yeah. Um, so the Liam Cert P, it's an examinable physical education subject assessed in a high stakes environment. So it's similar to like the A-level P in England or the senior cycle P in Australia. So the students can use the results of this subject alongside their results in English, maths and so on to gain access into further education. So it's a pretty historic moment for physical education in Ireland. Um, and given this was the first time physical education was formally assessed in Ireland, the teachers who are enacting it were faced with many opportunities and challenges, when, which we presume we'll get onto later on the podcast. But the actual specification is made up of 128 learning outcomes. And these learning outcomes are broken into 10 topics under two strands. So strand one is towards your optimum performance. So that would be your biophysical knowledge. And strand two is the contemporary issues in physical activity. And that would be your sociocultural knowledge. And these strands are very much designed to be taught in true and about physical activity. I suppose connecting that to the second part of your question there, that was about the, uh, the concept of teachers being policy actors. Um, this is where it gets really interesting, or in my opinion, it gets really interesting anyway. And it comes back to 
what I was talking about there before, how teachers ter- uh, interpret, translate and enact the curriculum and what the role of teacher agency is in that process. And that was why we looked at teacher agency and tried to explore how that plays out in the process of enactment. Um, go on. Yeah, so let me yeah. just let me just ask a follow up on the LCPE. Yeah. Is that is that for uh, students who are sixteen to eighteen? Are they considering a career in being a PE teacher or a career in being a coach, or is it just some person that really likes PE and wants that as one of their, um, you know, ones that they're going to be examined on? Yeah, I suppose the mixture of both. Um, there are definitely students who want to become physical education teachers or different jobs related to physical activity into maybe going to physio or different aspects. But there are also students who just love physical education mm-hmm. and now have the opportunity to gain uh, credits to get into further education by studying physical education as an examinable subject on the same level as English, maths, geography, etc. Yeah. So it's, it's a really great opportunity for them. Awesome. So I took us off the agency track. So let's get back into that. You, we have a lot of loosely defined concepts of agency in, in the literature. Can you explain how you understand this concept? Yeah. And I, you're right there. There's definitely, it's definitely been loosely defined. And my understanding is very much informed by Mark Priestley and his colleagues and their conception of the achievement of agency. So in other words, agency being something people achieve rather than something one holds. And this achievement is a result of a person's efforts, the resources available, the contextual and structural factors in a particular situation. So with this in mind, the achievement of agency should be viewed as something that's influenced by the past, informed by planning for the future, but occurs in the present. And Priestley and colleagues put together a really nice figure, which I've included in the paper, and that explains teacher agency, identifying different elements of it. So, for example, in the past, they list the life and professional histories. For the future, they talk about the aspirations of the teacher. And in the present, where the achievement of agency occurs, they identify different aspects. So, for example, like the cultural aspects, which would be a teacher's values and beliefs. So I think Priestley and colleagues' work shows how it's a combination of past, future and present, which results in the achievement of agency. And that's how we define that in the paper, what our base was set on. Nice. And and I've uh, in reading your paper, I was highlighting a bunch of your resources. You had a lot of up-to-date um, curriculum and policy citations in there that um, added to my reading list. So thank you for that. Uh, no worries. And you also brought up another concept of habitus. Can you tell us what this means and its relation to teachers' agency? Yeah. So we brought in the concept of habitus by taking a different viewpoint on the achievement of agency. We viewed the achievement of agency through a figurational sociology lens. So back in the first year of my PhD, I do remember Anne giving me one of the best pieces of advice. She encouraged me to extend the theory that I was using and not just use it. And I wanted to do this here to extend Priestley and uh, colleagues' concept of teacher agency and look at it from a different angle. And I used figurational sociology in my master's thesis at the University of Chester with Ken Green. And that really helped my understanding of it here when applying to explore teacher agency from a different angle. So just to give a, a bit of background on the concept of agency there from a figurational point of view, Norbert Elias, who figurational sociology derives from, commented, and I quote here, I put actions in the centre of a theory of society and not the people who act it. And this really resonated with me in looking at teacher agency. So how could we possibly look at teacher agency without studying the teacher and their relationships who influence the achievement of agency? Hmm. Interesting. And I, the great news, the great little nugget that I pulled out of there just as, as, a, as a PhD 
um, advice is how Anne told you to extend that theory, not just take what's already there and just like use it. So that's yeah. that's interesting. That's a that's a good word of advice there. Yeah, really good piece of advice yeah. that I'm always trying to apply in these different studies. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the methods used in the study? I know you had 19 interviews, which, which when I read that, I was like, wow, that's, that's a ton of interviews with the same person. So you really got to know this uh, this person and throughout the year. And can you just kind of explain what this study was about? Yeah, so the, the methods really, um, I worked with a number of teachers in a particular community of learners. And in particular, I worked on a weekly basis. And for this paper, I worked with a teacher called Brendan. And I interviewed Brendan on a weekly basis for the first year of his teaching. And that resulted in the 19 interviews, which was 19 weeks. And as you said there, it gave a great and really in-depth understanding of the teaching situation. And it allowed Brendan to reflect on his teaching. And we explored how the curriculum was taught, how it was assessed, and the extent to which student learning was achieved. So it really gave us a good understanding of the context which Brendan was in and a part of and the role of teacher agency within the enactment of the Leaving Cert PE curriculum. All right, so let's get into the findings uh, and discussion part of your paper. So your findings are presented with three different setting examples of the teacher. So the first one being specific teaching decisions across over the year. The second one is Brendan's teaching in a classroom. And then the third one is on a sports pitch. And so uh, maybe you can walk us through uh, these examples and you can kind of explain some of those narratives that you wrote in that paper. Yeah, perfect. Um, so we decided, as you said, to present the findings in three different teaching episodes because we tried to capture the achievement of agency and where and when it happened for Brendan. So I can give you a quick overview of those three teaching episodes. So as you said, the first one there looked at the consequences making a decision which was intended to improve student engagement in the class. So as I said before, there are two theoretical strands of Leaving Cert PE, strand one, biophysical knowledge, and strand two, sociocultural knowledge. Brendan started teaching strand one for the first term, September to December. And after this, based off student reaction and feedback, he decided to change to strand two. The students found strand one, the biophysical knowledge, very difficult, and the content was very heavy, as Brendan put it. And Brendan himself was, very, was less, confidence with, less, less confident with that content. So when he began to teach strand two in the second semester, he, he gained more confidence in the classroom and he saw the atmosphere in the classroom become more positive and engaging. And he started to use more different uh, student-centered pedagogies, which gave his students more responsibility over their own learning. And as he witnessed, there was an increase in student learning occurring in his class. But despite these benefits, as the year progressed and as the formal assessment deadline approached, and he needed to have all of that strand one content covered, by moving to strand two, he put himself under huge pressure to get all of strand one content covered, and he began to very much regret his, regret his decision. So in this teaching episode, it highlights the unintended consequences of one agenic decision over a year-long period. Yeah, and I, uh, when I was reading this, it was interesting because you, you did talk about how you have 128 things that need to happen. And so mm -hmm. you talked about how this could be so prescriptive, and Brendan kind of went back and forth and reflected on you know maybe if he restarts this the next year he would do it a little bit different and start yeah. in different different angles so i think this was a good uh observation of how a teacher you know this is the first year he's doing it and he's trying different things and learning and reflecting going okay those are things that did not work 
the way that you know he wanted them to so do you do you think that it was really prescriptive or do you think that the lcpe is prescriptive i think the actual specification is not because it's a learning outcomes designed curriculum so it gives that level of freedom of how the teachers can translate those learning outcomes into teachable moments mm-hmm. into learning experiences but the the context they're in and the relationships that influence that context make make their, their teach prescriptive so in this for example he he wanted to move to strand two because he felt more comfortable and the students felt more comfortable but he needed to get all strand one covered before right. the formal assessment so in right. that way it's it's designed to be prescriptive okay so what about the second one brendan's teaching in the classroom yeah so in this in the classroom um the t- second teaching episode he was enacting pedagogical approaches to accommodate students interests so in this episode brendan had his students working in pairs in researching and discussing a particular element of a learning outcome which is around promoting physical activity straight away though brendan reserved they're not motivated in the task and he put it down to that he used particular group work pedagogy in his last two classes so he reverted to giving them the information they needed rather than them researching it themselves he then immediately tried another pedagogical approach similar to a world cafe style where students would work on one table on a task before moving to another table to another but brendan found the students again lost engagement as they were not on task at all so to counteract this brendan tried a jigsaw puzzle approach where the students would continue to work in groups but then share their work with peers to build new knowledge and solve problems together but again this did not seem to work for the students despite brendan's best efforts to get them on task finally brendan opted to have a group discussion and debate which they did engage in but Brendan admitted it was him who did most of the talking and he engaged them by getting them to write in their workbooks I think what's really interesting this teaching episode is Brendan's ability to act reflexively to his students reaction to his pedagogical approaches and the related tasks and in this teaching episode Brendan attempted three times in the space of one class to enact a different type of student-centered pedagogy and although his ability to make these pedagogical decisions decisions on the spot may be seen as achievement of agency how he ended up teaching the class was not how he would have ideally liked to. Yeah. And and another great, great example of a teacher trying to continuously change throughout his lesson. That didn't work. Yeah. Option two. That didn't work. Option three. That didn't work. Option four. And then at the end of the day, it got done, but not the way he probably wanted it to. Exactly. Yeah. And so what I find interesting here is if you think about from a U.S. context, he's sitting in a physical classroom talking about all this content, which in a secondary school in the U.S., a lot of times that sitting in the classroom content comes from the health aspect of PE, not necessarily physical education. So how much in an LCPE program are they are they actually in a classroom setting? Yeah, so again, it's it's like the specification, it doesn't list how many classes in a classroom context you need to have. A lot of it can be taught in the PE hall, but given the realities of timetabling, it does seem that most teachers have gone for uh, two classes, two double classes in the classroom and one double in the PE hall, or again, depends on different schools, maybe two singles and one double in the PE hall. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be um, half and half in most cases or more time spent in the classroom. Interesting. Hmm. so what about let's talk about getting on to the sports pitch how how did that go yeah and that was teaching episode three and that really highlighted the reality of dealing with the context and the resources available so this teaching episode as you said occurred in a sports pitch where brendan was teaching football skills 
And given the sports sports pitches outside, there's no Wi-Fi, Brendan had to forward plan. So he emailed students videos of particular football skills and got students to watch these on their phones because there was no Wi-Fi for the iPads. And Brendan then drew on aspects of the sport education model, curriculum model, and gave the students roles of coaches and players and allowed for peer teaching and peer learning. And Brendan goes on in this teaching episode to discuss how he operated the rotation of roles in his teaching in his teaching and the type of work they were doing and learning. I think what's really interesting about this episode was how Brendan operated his agentic decisions in transaction with the context in which he was teaching it. And we can also see in this teaching episode how his past relationships within his network of interdependent relationships or his figuration are influencing his agentic decisions. So, for example, Brendan drew here on sport education, a curriculum instructional model which is advocated within Pete. And that makes the teacher educators in Pete a set of interdependent, non-face-to-face relationship which continues to influence his pedagogical decisions. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting seeing that, you know, he talked about what a lot of teachers do is spending extra time at home trying to make sure that they're ready for the next day and staying late and sending those emails out and saying, hey, please watch this you know, video because once we get to school, you can't watch it during my class yeah. because where we are, we don't have Wi-Fi and all of these all of these things, which was which was enlightening for sure. And I know a lot of teachers can definitely relate to that and you know, off topic, this kind of brings up a, you know, a technology issue too, that, you know, a lot of schools are going one-to-one electronic devices with students and, but that electronic device doesn't necessarily do much if it doesn't have Wi-Fi and your, your learning management system is on online and you're outside or in the gym that doesn't have that Wi-Fi. So. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. It's definitely another added challenge to teaching. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about the teacher's power dynamic in reference to his relationship with the students? Yeah. So uh, power in figurational sociology terms is a core component of a figuration, a network of relationships. And again, I'm going to quote Elias here that power is a structural characteristic of all human relationships. So really power is not seen as something one holds, but something that has the ability to put uh, people in powerful positions. And depending on the location of power in a teacher's figuration, some relationships can be enabling or constraining in the process of achieving agency. So as you pointed out there, we're talking about the, your students here. And students would be seen as a strong interdependent relationship in Brendan's figuration because he has direct face-to-face contact with them every day in the classroom. And we might think that Brendan, given he's a teacher in the classroom, would be in a particularly powerful position. But as I said, power is in a constant flux and therefore allows people or group of people to occupy different powerful positions. So if we just go back to teaching episode two, where we saw Brendan uh, attempt a number of student-centered pedagogies, when we look at this teaching episode from a figurational point of view, we can see shifting power balances. So Brendan, who was in a powerful position, told his students what to do, but the location of power moved from Brendan to the students as they did not want to engage with his instructions. And this happened throughout the teaching episode. The power ratios were consistently moving back and forth between student and teacher. And that means this interdependent relationship constrained Brendan's process of achieving, achieving agency. Yeah. So do you think that uh, in, in this situation, do you think that Brendan exerted too much power in a way? Because he ended up changing a few times and he got done what he needed to get done, but he didn't necessarily do it in a way that he planned. Yeah, I think it was more to do with the the 
in that context between the relationship between student and students and Brendan, the power struggles were evident. Mm -hmm. And he, he had the power because he was a teacher or he was in a powerful position because he was a teacher and gave him instructions. But once they didn't engage with those instructions, the power moved towards them. And that really showed the power struggles as he attempted different pedagogies throughout the classroom, having a student-centered classroom to a more traditional teacher-led approach, an approach he did not want to see. So we can see here the complexity of the achieving agency and how it fluctuates throughout the process of teaching, even in one class. Yeah, absolutely. Let me um, let me ask you about some of the possible limitations here, and 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 I don't mean necessarily your studies limitations, but to understand what are the possible limitations to understanding teachers' achievement of agency. Yeah, uh, it's a really good question and also a difficult question, but I'll give it a go. Um, I suppose once we focus on the process of achieving agency, so we move away from achievement of agency and we, we verb, uh, verb that, verbing that noun to achieving agency and how teachers operate within that achieving of agency. We can then only gain understanding of the extent to which a teacher as one individual person has on this process and the use of figurational sociology helped us understand this. So if we locate the teacher in their figuration, in their network of relationships, which also incorporates their habitus and the unbalanced power ratios, and we locate all of this in the complex policy enactment context, in the school context, we can then only start to understand very little control teachers have in the process of achieving agency. We need to understand that the teacher is only one element in this very complex teaching situation. And we explicitly argue this in the paper, that's impossible to link the achievement of agency with one element, including the teacher. We say that's a combination or a negotiation of multiple elements, including the numerous interdependent relationships in that teacher's figuration. And we say that the agenic decisions the teachers make are products of this negotiation between multiple relationships and elements. So to come back to your question, there are huge limitation to understanding teachers' achievement at age three, one, to believe the teacher has control of achievement that can be achieved. Yeah. Rather, we need to consider taking a figurational view of this, that being that teachers operating within the process of achieving agency that is influenced, enabled, and constrained by multiple interdependent relationships within the teacher's figuration. So where do you feel like we go from here? Like what, what are the next steps in, in this whole process? Yeah, and another great question, the so what question, which I think always needs to be asked. And I'm just conscious of what I said there about the teacher having little control in the process of achieving agency. But we've listed a numerous um, number of considerations and possibilities that can assist in this process in the paper. And I'll quickly talk about two interrelated ones here. So first, we really, in the paper, we encourage the use of community of learners. In this paper, in the study, one of the strong interdependent relationships was with Brendan was other teachers teaching the same subject. So we as the physical education community need to capitalize on this. Teachers working together in community learners can allow for collaborative discourse and sharing ideas, but how to work towards achieving agency and support teachers and give each other in that process. And we push this idea further by suggesting that the community of learners should expand to include and bring together all teacher educators. And the second, the second next step um, here which linked to that, and this is probably the one to hammer home, that we need to move away from the discourse that positions a huge amount of belief on the agency of a teacher. In this paper, we showed that the minimal role a teacher appears to have on the process of achieving agency, and we strongly advocate for the physical education community, that being teachers, students, teacher educators, professional development providers, policymakers, 
to come together and to work together to enable collaborative thinking, discussion and action. And this is one of our main messages in going forward from this paper. And again, I quote uh, MacPhail here, we need to stop working in isolation and work with and learn from each other. And I truly believe this. And again, imagine the opportunities and the potentialities, the learning for us all, if what, what could come from this if we did this? And there's examples of this throughout the most recent literature. Uh, Laura Alfrey and Justin O'Connor's recent paper on curriculum transformation in uh, secondary HPE, where they, the authors and the teacher educators, work together with four teachers to rethink provision of HPE in their schools. So these collaborative approaches could enlighten us on numerous aspects of teacher agency and the process of operating within achieving agency. Yeah. And you know what I love most about that? is your passion for this area and your your vision for you know looking at what we can do instead of mm-hmm. coming at this from a you know cutting down and explaining how you know curriculum enactment or agency is all screwed up you're you're looking at this in such a positive manner of like you know we we can make some different changes and we can achieve a lot of really good things if we work together with those um, with those teachers who are enacting that policy with peat professors with yeah. pre-service teachers getting their opinions in there so um, yeah. yeah this is this is great yeah I think it's that as you said there when we come together and we start to learn from each other by working together I think that's the key to the the puzzle yeah absolutely and we look forward to uh a few more of your publications coming out uh thank you for your time um i think again you you brought up really good points on on the teacher agency i i like this project i i love that you know um you went in and did an in-depth study following this this uh specific teacher and i think that case study approach was was really good um So for those of you who want to read the uh, full article, you can check the full citations uh, or full citation in the comments section. Um, That's all we got for you on this one. Thank you, Dylan, for uh, for coming on. Great. Thanks, Vinny Risto. Awesome. I also want to thank Alba Rodriguez for the help in preparing this podcast. And again, uh, give us a rating. Follow uh, follow us on uh, Twitter at the HP podcast. And uh, thanks for listening.